Welcome to the Snow Brains Podcast, where it's my job to interview the most intelligent people in the snow sports industry and pass their fascinating knowledge on to you, our listeners. I'm your host, Miles Clark. I'm a professional free skier, a professional mountain guide, a UC Berkeley molecular cell biology graduate, the founder and CEO of Snow Brains, and I didn't start skiing until I was 18 years old, but I utterly and hopelessly fell in love with the sport. I've committed my life to skiing, and I can't imagine where I'd be without it. Today's episode of the Snow Brains podcast is brought to you by Hakuba Valley, Japan, just under three hours from downtown Tokyo at the base of the northern Japanese Alps sits Hakuba Valley, Japan's largest snow resort. Expect abundant snowfall averaging 32 feet per season, 131 trails, 96 lifts across the valley's nine ski resorts. From gentle groomers to extreme mountain terrain, Hakuba Valley has something for everyone. Visit HakubaValley.com to learn more. Today's Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by Scott Sports. Technology, innovation, and design is the name of the game, and that's exactly what Scott Sports is. It's in their DNA. Skiing is about testing yourself, seeing the possibilities that you're presented with, and pushing yourself to seize the greatest challenges. Scott Sports has the gear to help you do just that. To learn more, check out scottsports.com and see what real innovation looks like. My guest today is Doug Fish. Doug is the genius who came up with the idea for the Indie Pass. Doug is the CEO and founder of the Indie Pass. The Indie Pass is the fastest growing multi-mountain pass on earth. The first season of the Indie Pass was 2019-2020 and they had 45 ski area members that first year. This is their third season, and now they have over 80 ski area partners, mostly in North America, with 28 states represented, two Canadian provinces, and even four ski areas in Japan. The Indy Pass only costs $300, and you get to ski two days at each resort. The Indy Pass saw 9,000 skier visits its first year. The Indy Pass saw 96,000 skier visits its second year. This year, they're forecasting 300 to 400,000 skier visits. We're talking about the past growing three to 4,000% in only three seasons. And who knows where it'll go from there. Hello, Doug. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here, man. How are you? I'm doing great, Miles. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm so glad to have you. When did you ski last? Oh, boy. July, I think, up at Timberline on Mount Hood. That's right, because you're in Portland, so you got Hood pretty much all year, which is terrific. Yes, yes. It was, uh, I needed two more days to get to 30, so I, I hit Timberline in May and July, I think. <laughs> Perfect. Well, that's one of the questions I ask everybody, too, is how many days you get. So I like that. 30 is a solid number, especially as much as you work. Yeah, it was a busy year last year, and I, I, I honestly, I did not ski once in January or February, but I, I was so busy, and COVID was going so crazy, oh, uh, but then I, you know, made up for it in March. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Doug, today we're going to get into everything Indy Pass and independent ski area related, and I'm really excited to learn more from you because you're so involved in all this now, but I did want to start with uh, your background. So can you tell us a bit about your background in the mountains and in the ski industry? Yeah. So I started skiing in uh, 1963 on Mount Hood when I was a kid, obviously. Nice. And I skied all my life. That's my number one sport for sure. Always has been. For about the past 25 years, I have myself and my my company have uh, specialized in uh, marketing for ski resorts. We've done all kinds of programs involved in snow sports. Uh, we also produce a Get Stoked Festival in Portland called Snowvana. It actually happened last weekend. Oh, that's right. How'd it go? It, it went great. It was at the Oregon Convention Center. Nice. Congrats, and, man. Uh, thank you. Yeah, we took last year off, of course, due to the pandemic, oh, but we yeah. decided to go for it this year. And our attendance was up 50% over 2019, and I think it just goes to show you that wow. 
the strength and passion uh, that skiers and snowboarders have. Uh, you know, they'll come out in anything, I think, as long as it has something to do with their favorite sport. <laughs> I think you're right, man. And people might even be more hungry now than they were uh, after having to basically take a season off. So that's great. Well, that's fantastic. Well, well thank you for all that. So you're very much storied and experienced in this industry, uh, which kind of led you to creating the Indie Pass. So right off the bat, I'd like to get our listeners a bit of a taste of the Indie Pass and, and what it's all about. So I'm going to rattle off some Indie Pass stats here. So. Sure. It's the fastest growing multi-mountain pass on earth. I believe it has more ski area members than any other pass on earth as well. In its first season, the Indy Pass was in 2019, 2020, and they had 45 ski area members in that first year. This year is their mm -hmm. third year, and now they already have over 80 ski area partners, mostly in North America, with 27 states represented, two Canadian provinces, and even four skiers in Japan. The Indy Pass only costs $300, and you get to ski two days at each resort. If my understanding is correct, I saw that you guys had 9,000 skier visits the first year on the Indy Pass. And then the second mm -hmm. year, it was 96,000 skier visits, which is a 1,000% increase. And then this year, you guys are forecasting 300 to 400,000 skier, visit, skier visits. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the pass growing three to 4,000% in only three seasons. And who knows where it's going to go from there? So I, I just, I, I got to know how this all happened. So let's start from the very beginning, Doug. What is the Indy Pass? Well, the, the Indy Pass uh, is aptly named for the independent resorts that, that we represent. And in uh, 2018, we were, you know, closely tied to the ski industry, keeping a, a real close eye on things. We we're doing the uh, marketing for Snow Basin, Utah at the time. When it was announced that Icon was rolling up several resorts and creating, uh, or Altera rather, was rolling up all those resorts and creating the Icon Pass to effectively compete with the Epic Pass. And it also threw a lot of the affiliate programs uh, that were in, a, in existence at the time into a bit of a disarray, like musical chairs, you know, the, the music stopped and everybody started scrambling for a pass. And, right. you know, a lot, a lot of resorts were left out. Obviously, all the small resorts never were invited to that party. Yeah, they didn't and have a so, chance. Yeah. So, you know, we started thinking about the opportunity for another pass and, and it seemed to us that somebody was going to do another pass eventually and you know why not us you know we just decided to go for it and started doing more research talking to people and trying to find out you know where that sweet spot was in the market and uh, you know that that's really how it got started that winter i was in uh montana visiting my daughter and i popped down to red lodge who we were doing some work for at the time. And I want to go down and meet those guys and ski that mountain. I was riding the, one of the back chairs with a couple from Minneapolis and we got to talking and, you know, they, they were telling me how they come out every year, once a year on president's weekend to ski in Montana. And I said, you know, where do you ski back in the Midwest? Oh, we don't ski back there. You know, we, we don't like the mountains <laughs> back there. We, but, you know, this is where we come. I said, oh, wow. Well, how often do you do that? Oh, just one time a year, you know. Wow. This is our annual trip. And nice. we come out, we get our fix, and then we go home. You know, and they were, they were riding on, you know, 20-year-old gear and, and you know, just having the time of their life. They, 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 they were as passionate about it as any, anyone that skis 50 days a year. Wow. And it occurred to me that th there's a market out there, you know, and they're really the silent majority. They, they don't, you know, make up the bulk of the visits, but they make up the bulk of the, the people who ski in this country, you know, about only 25% or so, you know, give or take, 25% of skiers and riders have a season pass. Really? And they average, they average about 10 days a year. According, okay. These are stats that are, you know, collected by NSAA, National Skier Association. Right. At least 75% of the market that doesn't have a season pass. And they average about four and a half days a year. Wow. And it's that market that we realized was not being served by any past product 
those are the folks that buy day tickets and uh it's no wonder they only ski a couple of days a year you know with the cost of day tickets going up at you know two or three times the rate of inflation we really saw that as as an opportunity and um and then you know resorts like red lodge would be the types of resorts that are never going to be on a pass like the epic of the icon or the mountain collective pass and so it was that day at black at, at red lodge that really uh, things really crystallized for us and uh that's when we really started formulating what this pass would look like it launched shortly after that so so that's how you came up with the idea. And that's what the pass is. And I love that ideology that 75% of skiers and riders were not represented, did not have a pass that represented them. And the Indy Pass might be that because they're people who aren't skiing very often and they might prefer these smaller resorts. So what, what was the process like of, of creating the Indy Pass? You, you must have had to go door to door to all these resorts. It must have been grueling. <laughs> well, it's not growing if you like to ski and you do it in the winter. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. I see the opportunity there. Yeah. So <laughs> actually, um, in 2019, you know, I got on the phones and I started calling GMs that I knew and, you know, getting referrals and so forth. And Ken Ryder from Brundage, he just landed at Brundage uh, about a year before that. In Idaho. Uh, in Idaho, uh, he was the first guy to sign on. He convinced the board that this was something that might might stick. Nice. And so with that, I, I was able to convince a couple of other resorts to give it a shot. And I went to the, the NSAA Winter Conference and I set up a little trade show booth. And, you know, I stood there with my Indy Pass sign. And, and as people walked by, I tried to hand them a flyer and, you know, they kind of patted me on the head and said, Oh, that's, that's really nice. You know, <laughs> that's good cute. luck. Yeah, that's <laughs> cute. And, and then, uh, after that show, I packed up my, my lab and, uh, we rented a trailer, me and my, my best ski buddy. And we hit the road for a month. Whoa. You know, we, we started in Portland and we headed North uh, up into Washington and we, you know, cut across uh, the Cascades and into Idaho over into Montana and then we made our way down through the Rockies all the way to Las Vegas and then back up I-5 and, and the Sierras. And by the time we got done with that trip, it's about a month. Uh, we visited 25 resorts. Whoa. Uh, we skied it, skied it at 20. And uh, I had 10, I, we had 10 commitments at the end of that trip. So wow, yes, we well were done. literally, you know, knocking on doors. And then uh, we sent out a press release. We got a story in uh, ski area management. The next day, I got a call from Rick Schmitz at Little Switzerland in Wisconsin. And he said, <laughs> this is cool. We want in. I've got three resorts back here. And, that, oh. you know, I said, hey, okay, let's let's go. You know, do you know anybody else in the Midwest? And he goes, oh, yeah, I got some buddies. And it Perfect. just kind of went like that. And then, you know, about a week later, I started calling people in the East. And uh, Ralph Delorier. Yeah. Answered, answered the phone at Bolton Valley, right? Nice. The founder. And, uh, you know, I chatted with Ralph for a while and he goes, yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Um, you need to talk to my daughter, Lindsay. She's running the place now. I just answered the phone. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, uh, a few few weeks later, we, you know, got a, got a commitment from Lindsay and we had our first resort in the East. Wow. And uh, we launched with 34 resorts that year in September. And, you know, we've just been adding them ever since. Yeah, it's spectacular the rate that you've been adding them, you know, going from that 34 all the way up to 80 now and even having a few resorts in Japan. It's nuts. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I am curious about, how did you come up with the pricing for the Andy Pass? I think the mm. first year it was only $200 and now it's only 400 or 300 Is that right? We came up with the price before we came up with anything else. We... We looked at the market. We know what season passes sell for. We know what, you know, Epic and Icon were selling for Mountain Collective. And we know what a casual skier pays for a, uh, a daily lift ticket at a medium-sized resort. And we said, okay, if this guy's going to ski four days or three days, it's got to be a good value for, for him. 
Yeah. And so we priced it accordingly. We said we need a pass that that, that we can launch at 199. It's that we it's got to be a no-brainer price. Uh-huh. And so we we priced it at 199 and then we we formulated the structure of the payout and everything else so that 199 would work. And um you know, we we were able to make it so you know, we could take a small percentage, you know, for for our overhead, which is 15%, but 85% of that revenue then had to go back to the resorts in order, order to make it work for them right. and still be at 199. That's how we came up with it. We just said, well, 199 sounds like a great price. Let's try and make it work for that. And, and that's, that's what we did. Well, I love that. So you had the 199 was in your head bef- at the very beginning before you mm-hmm. were really getting mm-hmm. people on board. And yeah. then, and then how does the money get distributed amongst the participating resorts? I think a lot of people are curious mm-hmm. about how this works with all these type of uh, multi-mountain passes. Yeah, well, I don't know exactly how the other guys do it, but uh, the way we do it, we just simply take all, all the dollars and we take 15% off the top for, you know, for overhead and marketing and credit card fees and all that. And then what's left, uh, you divide by the total number of visits and, that's what each resort gets, right? You know, if you have, you know, a thousand dollars and you have a hundred visits, each resort gets 10 bucks a visit. Right. And then we weight those resorts so that the bigger resorts, the ones with the hundred dollar lift tickets, they're going to get more than the smaller resorts with $50 lift tickets. It, it It's only fair, right? You, you can't right. split it up and, and expect it to be fair otherwise. So, we have a formula that weights the payout based on rack rate, which which is uh, hospitality lingo for your highest retail price. So you know we we take your highest uh, ticket price and we we apply this formula and and you know it's it's way over my head because it's high school algebra <laughs> and uh, and it comes out so that everybody gets the same percentage of their rack rate. And, uh, you know, whether it's a hundred dollars or $50, you're going to get the same percentage. That's how we make the finances work. Yeah. It makes sense. So basically the more obscure visits you get, the more money you get. And then there's a little bit of weight mm-hmm. there on how big your resort, big or small your resort is, but, but yeah, basically yeah. a formula of, yeah, the more people you get to come here, the more money you're going to get. I like that. So exactly. Yeah. I'm curious. What do you think the Indy pass means to families? It's a way for families, young families, to actually participate in the sport and afford it. You know, the the, the biggest yeah. thing about the Indy Pass is its affordability. We talk about the independence and the authenticity and everything, but let's face it. You know, the reason the Indy Pass has been successful is because it's cheap, right? Yeah, it's you know, affordable. it's it's a sweet <laughs> deal, and skiers are the they're the shrewdest buyers in the world. You know, they, they know exactly, you know, what everything costs and they can, they can do the calculations down to the penny. And, and, you know, a family of four, you know, if you, if you go to a, a big resort, the family of four and, um, you know, maybe, you're, you know, you're not a, a every weekend skiers and, you know, you're trying it out for the first time and you need to rent gear and get, kids into lessons and buy lunch and gas and all that. Oh man, it adds up. You know, you're going to drop a thousand bucks on a Saturday. Uh, Yeah. One day. Yeah. One day. And you know, 2,500, three grand for a weekend. Whoa. You you know, those are one percenters, you know, you know, the average family can't afford that. So how are you going to get them to ski? Well, even at a small resort, you know, or a medium-sized resort, they're going to spend 500 bucks for a Saturday to ski. And so, you know, the, it, I mean, that's just, it is what it is. And skiing is, is an expensive sport. Golf can be an expensive sport, you know, scuba diving, you know, they're all, they all have their associated costs. And so what we're trying to do is give a young family the opportunity you know, for under 800 bucks, you can ski all season with, and I mean, that covers your lift tickets, right? You go to ski swap and you can buy your gear for pennies on the dollar. Um, and then, you know, with a little bit of driving, you can get four to six days and sleep in your own bed. And then if you want to take a family vacation and, you know, head, head out a little farther, spend a couple nights, 
the resorts that are on the Indy Pass, you know, they're in, in locations where the lodging isn't 350 bucks a night. It's a hundred bucks a night or 150 right. bucks a night. Right. Small and, towns. You know, it's, yeah, small towns, small resorts. It's totally doable. And so that's what it means for a young family. It, it gives them the, the opportunity. I've, I've got letters from pass holders saying, you know, I, I grew up skiing and, um, I love the sport so much. And me and, you know, me and my husband are both teachers and we never thought we could give our kids the same experience we had you know, as we were growing up and the Indy Pass has made that possible. And gosh, you know, they, they skied Waterville and, and Jay Peak and Cannon Mountain and, you know, se- several resorts in New England that, you know, would have, that would have been unattainable for their family before the Indy Pass came along. So it, it's great. I mean, that that we figure forty percent of our pass holders are a family member. Forty percent, forty percent are are have a, a child under thirteen, or they are a child under thirteen. Wow! So I, it just it appears obvious that the the Indy Pass is bringing affordability and, and accessibility to families, and that's huge, and that's great for the local economies, and it just snowballs in the right direction. Yeah. And so now I'm I'm curious also what you think. How do you think the Indy Pass is meaningful to these small ski resorts? In, in a couple of different ways. Over the last 50 years that I've been skiing, it's occurred to me that, you know, the casual skier only is aware of, you know, 25 or 30 ski resorts in, in the whole country. Because, you know, you go to a Warren Miller movie once every three years and, you know, you see the big names and, you know, you pick up a, used to you know pick up a copy of ski magazine and you'd see the ads and those are all the big resorts and you know there, there there's hundreds of great independent small to mid-sized resorts in the u.s and canada and uh they just don't have the marketing clout they don't have the marketing resources right to reach out beyond their local markets or maybe if they're a medium-sized resort, they can market to their regional. But there's no way they're going to, you know, be able to put together a national pres- have a national presence. A perfect example is Beaver, Beaver Mountain in Utah. You know, they're in the shadow of some of the greatest ski resorts in the world. Ski the Beaver. They're, yeah, ski the Beaver. Up in the, you know, outside of <laughs> Logan. I've about, been there. It's you know, great. It's a great little hill. They've got the same snow that Snowbird does, and the right. same snow that Park City does. They're just a little bit smaller. But, you know, the Indy Pass, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people visited Beaver Mountain last year on the Indy Pass. Wow. And they came from 20 different states. Okay. Really? And only 7% of them lived in Utah. So, wow. You know, we drove, you know, all these all these visits from people who would never have gone to Beaver Mountain if they didn't have an Indy Pass in their pocket. And that's what the Indy Pass can do for these small resorts. It, it opens up marketing opportunities. You know, we had a story in the New York Times last week. Whoa. They mentioned several of our resorts. And, you know, we as a, as a, a coalition, you know, there's strength in numbers, right? And Definitely. so we, as as a coalition, we can we can make a lot of noise marketing wise, and we can raise the profile of all independent resorts, and not just the ones that are on the Indy Pass, but all small to mid sized resorts. Is it's our goal to increase awareness about how great it is to ski at these smaller resorts. You know, you you don't need a big resort to have a great day. You, you don't need to spend 200 bucks a day for a lift ticket. You can, if you want, and if you have the means, <laughs> by all means, you should. And, you know, I'm not knocking the big resorts. I think they're great. I think they are, you know, they are what makes skiing in America, you know, world-class. And I, you know, I love skiing at, at them and I do every chance I get but they're not for everybody. And it's not the only uh, option that people have. And so, you know, for a small ski resort that 
that is, you know, trying to get noticed, we can help them get noticed. And then, you know, we bring them business that is proven not to cannibalize their local business. And then we write them checks, you know, can't beat that. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a good thing. Checks. I think I absolutely is a good thing. And I love that because, you know, I've experienced that a lot, you know, as being a, a marketer myself, when I'm trying to work with small ski resorts, they often say, Hey, we're not interested. We only need this very small local market. And mm -hmm. that you guys have cracked that and basically destroyed that ideology to say, no, we can get people from 20 different States to come to Beaver mountain, which is a bit out there. And that's just phenomenal to me. And I think that really speaks to the power of the Indy pass. So Doug, why has the Indy pass been so successful having, you know, a thousand percent, uh, increase in skier visits over one year. And now potentially you're going to go between the first and third year, have three to 4,000%. Why do you think it's yeah. been so successful? Well, uh, the price, uh, like I said, <laughs> bottom it's, line, it's, I mean, it's, yeah, it's the best deal in, in, in snow sports. But the other reason is because we have such a great product and the yes. product is all these wonderful resorts that, that people love to ski at, or once they discover them, they realize, Oh my gosh, what have I been missing all, all these years? This is, <laughs> this is awesome. I, I don't need to spend all this money. I get, you know, so words getting around that, you know, it's a good deal. And it's, it's not because uh, the product sucks. <laughs> it's a no, good deal. Not. And the product is outstanding. I love that. Great answer. And do you think the popularity of the Indy Pass could have anything to do with the pandemic and the desire for people to want to go to smaller resorts that are less crowded? Oh, absolutely. No question. There was a huge surge in popularity for skiing last year. Yes. You know, the, the COVID-19 has been a, you know, a tragedy for sure, but there's many silver linings to every tragedy and, and, and ski industry has been a huge silver lining. And, um, you know, people got off the couch because there was nothing else they could do in the winter and they went skiing, <laughs> you know, yeah. they dusted off the equipment and they thought, well, Hey, there's a, there's a resort up the road. Let's go to that one. And, you know, some of them found the Indy pass, but you know, I I'd say 50 to 75% of the resorts on the Indy pass had all time visitation records last year. Really? Wow. Yeah. And it's, it's because, uh, you know, people just wanted to get out and, and, uh, they didn't want to go to a, a big resort where, you know, the, they, they felt it was going to be more crowded, certainly right. more expensive. Yeah. A lot of these people were, you know, they had lapsed and they were coming back into the sport and, you know, they wanted to kind of tiptoe in a little bit, uh, as opposed to go big. And so <laughs> it was, um, you know, it was just you know, good luck, good timing. I think the Indy Pass would have grown otherwise, but the, you know, COVID gave it a boost. There's no question. And is there, is there any fear that once the pandemic subsides that the Indy Pass will lose some popularity? No, I don't think so. I, I think that uh, it will continue to grow. Um, you know, it, it's a good deal. It's a good product. You know, we're uh, more and more people are, are finding out about it and, and buying the past and, uh, we, we have a, a very strong renewal rate. Uh, our renewal rate uh, is, That's huge. is very strong. What I think is, is going to happen is, and this isn't just the Indy Pass, but obviously the Epic has had you know, phenomenal success. Right. Or Vail has had phenomenal success with the Epic Pass. Icon has been extremely successful. The Mountain Collective Pass is, is a very successful and all the affiliate programs that, that are uh, exist around the country. There's lots of different multi-mountain passes. And I think that's what is going to uh, proliferate in the future. More and more people are going to get away from day tickets. I, I, I just think that the secret is out and, and, and the secret is nobody should pay full retail, no. right? If you go to the ticket window and, and pay that price, then, you know, you're not paying attention. 
Well, it's become like uh, airline flights now, right? So if you buy your airline flight the day of, it's going to be very expensive. But if you think ahead of time and, and buy that flight quite a ways ahead of time, you're going to get a much better deal. And skiing, if at least in North America, has very much become congruent with that. If you don't plan ahead, you're going to get smoked. But if you do plan ahead, it, it can work, especially yeah. with the Indy Pass. And, in, and Indy Pass is growing. Obviously, you started with 34, now up to 80 resorts. How many resorts do you think you'll expand to next season? It's hard to say. Um, you know, we're, we're maxing out some areas of the country, you know, where we've hit our, our level of density that we can't go beyond. Okay. And, um, you know, there are, there are areas of the country where, where we'd love to, to expand into uh, the Southwest, uh, Colorado, Lake Tahoe, Eastern Canada. And uh, we certainly you know, have, uh, feelers out to all the independent resorts in those regions. And we hope that a few of them will come on board, but until we, you know, actually get there, it's hard to say how many will. Yeah. And, and what do you think would have been the challenges with getting places like Colorado and Lake Tahoe on board? One, they're very popular. You know, there's a handful of independent resorts left in both Colorado and Lake Tahoe, and they're all just killing it. They're, they're doing <laughs> gangbusters business. You know, They don't need, I mean, we're a marketing program, right? And we're a discount program. So right. one, they don't need, a, you know, they don't need any marketing right now. They've got all the business they can handle and they definitely don't need to discount their product. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's, that's part, that's part of it. I mean, Oh, yeah. The other thing that uh, I think makes it hard for them to justify the Indy Pass is that, you know, you take a, a, a single resort in Colorado, like a Loveland or a, a Monarch, you know, they're surrounded by some of the greatest resorts in the world. Yes. And if you live in Denver, nobody who lives in Denver buys a day ticket, right? Day tickets are for tourists. and <laughs> And so... You know, it's hard to justify buying a day ticket at, at Loveland when you can buy an Epic Pass for six or seven hundred bucks and, you know, ski all these incredible resorts, right? Right. Yeah. So, what Loveland and Monarch and Cooper and some of the other independent resorts in Colorado have done is they've formed a coalition of their own. And if you buy a season pass from one of those resorts and you get two or three days at, at those other independent resorts and that's how they compete with Epic and, and right. icon. And, you know, it's a great strategy. I think that they're all thriving and as, as they should, it's, you know, there's more skiers in Colorado, you know, than any other state per capita or otherwise, I think. Wow. So they don't want to upset the apple cart, you know, by, you know, throwing in an Indy pass. I, you know, personally, I don't, I don't think that it w it would upset the apple cart. I think that, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to sell a lot of Indy passes in Denver, but we sell a, a, a lot of them in twin cities and Chicago and, and uh, Seattle and, you know, Milwaukee and those people want to ski in Colorado. And they do. So, you know, that's who, who we would attract for that market and, and for Tahoe, but you know, we, we may never get there and, and that's okay. We're, we're doing great. You know, we've got some, some awesome resorts in other parts of the country and we have a, a really good offering. You absolutely do. How much bigger do you think it could get? Like how many resorts could this thing max out at you think? Well, it, it's really based on geography. You know, we could have, 200 resorts in North America, but then we'd have too many and, and nobody would buy a season pass. They would buy an <laughs> Indy pass for 300 bucks and ski anywhere. So we're kind of bound by geography. Um, but it, you know, if we were to, to crack into those markets and open up Eastern Canada, New Mexico, you know, we, we could definitely be over a hundred in wow. North America. That would be impressive. And that would by yeah. far be, you know, for, you're already the biggest pass. It'd be far and away the biggest pass. Well, our, our goal is to have, you know, at least one resort within a day drive of every skier in North America. And, and I think we can get there. The other thing that, you know, we're, we're, we're experimenting with this year is that we, we signed uh, the largest Nordic resort in North America, Sovereign Lakes. 
in oh. the Canadian Rockies. Whoa. They are a hundred they have 156 kilometers of trails. I can see us expanding into Nordic and uh that's a great um, idea. Today's episode of the Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by Hakuba Valley, Japan. Discover Japan's largest snow resort with the Hakuba Valley Day Pass. Get access to nine ski resorts and the Valley Shuttle for under $60 a day. Or show your Epic or Epic Australia Pass to claim five complimentary and consecutive days to Hakuba Valley with no blackout dates. Explore untracked powder and world-class terrain at Hakuba Valley, Japan. Today's Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by Scott Sports. Skip the lift lines this year and get into the backcountry. With all the new Scott Winter Essentials, you're set to have a safe and fun time in the mountains. Check out the new product line at scottsports.com. You've expanded into Japan this year with four ski resorts in Japan. And so I'm curious, do you guys have any ideas about partnering with small ski areas in Europe or potentially the Southern Hemisphere? Yeah, there's been talk of that for sure. You know, unfortunately, I, I don't think that U.S. skiers are going to get to take advantage of the Japanese market. Uh, we hope that things open up, but right now you can't get a tourist visa to Japan. You can get a business uh, visa, but it will eventually open back up. And uh, we, we think it's a, a great uh, something for U.S. skiers to aspire to and dream about. Not Obviously, not everyone can afford a vacation to Japan, a ski vacation to Japan. And the lift tickets are the least of your expense, to be honest with you. But it, it's, you know, it's kind of cool. We've actually sold a few passes in, in uh, the Southeast, uh, you know, Southeast Asia um, and as a result. And so, you know, it, it's got us thinking international, but there's a lot of work to do in that regard. And the European market, the Southern Hemisphere, they're very different than the U.S. market. And, and you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure if the IndyPass concept will work there or not. It might, but uh, you know, it's something that we're, we're, we're probably going to explore. Well, that's terrific. Yeah, I'm definitely curious to see how that part of it goes, uh, Southern Hemisphere and Europe. So I wanted to jump into uh, the Icon and Epic Passes. So the, mm -hmm. the Epic Pass has been around for 13 years now, and the Icon Pass has been around for three years. And they've both mm -hmm. created huge and potentially irreversible changes to the ski industry. And so I'm, I'm curious about the blunt question, are Icon and Epic Passes hurting small ski resorts? And if so, how? Well, no, I, I don't think they are. I think that the Epic and the Icon Passes have been really good for skiing. I think that, like the Indy Pass, they have made skiing more affordable, not less affordable. Right. And, um, you know, they, they may not appeal to the person who skis three days a year, and that's fine. They're, you know, therefore, they're a season pass product that is intended for someone that skis at least eight days a year. And if you, if you spend that much time on snow, then it, it's just a, a great product, you know, uh, especially if you live in, in some of their, their hub markets like Colorado or Northern California, you know, it's just an incredible value. Have they hurt small ski areas? No, I don't think the passes have hurt small ski areas at all. I th think that Epic's or Vail and Altera's sophisticated management strategies and their marketing execution has left a lot of small ski resorts in the dust. And I, th I think that their ability to capitalize their resorts with lifts and snowmaking and lodges has left some small resorts in the dust. But if a small resort is well-managed and well-run and well-marketed, it's a very profitable business. You know, some are more profitable than others due to their location and proximity to population centers. I think 
and I, you know, believe this with any business, uh, the rising tide lifts all the ships, the big ones, the small ones, and the more people we can get excited about skiing, the more people will find their way to these small resorts. I was just going to mention that as well. You know, maybe the Icon and Epic Pass with their sophistication is going to actually force smaller resorts to become more sophisticated themselves. And so maybe yeah, the, the tide is going to lift all of them. And I hope that's true. What do you think is the future of the Epic and Icon Passes? I, I don't know. Um, I wait to see what they do to decide what we're going to do, to be honest with you. I wish I knew what, what they had in their crystal balls. I, I think they're going to continue to add resorts. And I think that after you know the pandemic subsides, I think uh, they're going to get back to expansion. The, the rumors I've heard are that Vail is going to divest themselves of their smaller resorts that were acquired in the, the peak acquisition four or five years ago. Interesting. Um, and 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 concentrate on the, the bigger the bigger resorts. That's just my opinion. But again, you know, they they know what they're doing. They're very good at what they do. And I'm sure that the next the, the next moves that they make will be well calculated and, and will be the right ones. In the movie, when we'll get to the movie here in a little bit, uh, in Pursuit of Soul, that TGR, Teton Gravity Research, basically made about the Indy Pass and about the independent resorts in North America. There's an older gentleman there who says, in 1969, there was over 1,000 ski areas in the USA, and now there's less than 400. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm curious what you think. Will there ever be a time when ski resorts, when small ski resorts start popping up again, like they did in the 1960s, or, or are those days gone? Well, those days are gone. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, and, and every year to, you know, every year we, we lose a couple and, you know, lately we've been gain, gaining a couple, you know, um, there are, you know, we, uh, the Antelope Butte on the Indy Pass in, in uh, Wyoming was shuttered for eight years before it was resurrected. The community got together and, and now it's a nonprofit ski hill. I love that. Serves the, their local community. It's a it's a great little mountain. Those things are are happening, but you know you got to remember that a lot of those resorts that are gone were just tiny little bumps with a you know a, a municipal rope tow. Right. You know, Not a they huge. Were count, no, they they weren't big ski resorts or even you know ski resorts that you've heard of. There certainly are. Um, Many that have gone by the wayside, whether because you know whether they were just poorly managed, the economics of of running a ski resort are, are you know are difficult if you're not in close proximity to a a large population base. Small resorts who didn't shift to snowmaking twenty years ago, twenty five years ago, when global warming really started to take a bite out of, of, uh, snowfall, they went by the wayside. And, well, and that's uh, something I wanted to ask you, sorry, continue. But what do you think caused that dramatic decline in the ski industry in America uh, and ski, ski areas in America? And it sounds like part of it was global warming and, and snowmaking. I really believe so. I mean, if you have a ski resort in the Midwest and you can't make snow, you're, you can't open. You're done. You know? Yeah. In a lot of parts of the country, I mean, 50 years ago, there was plenty of snow to go around everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's not the case anymore. And it's not cheap to, to outfit a ski resort with enough guns to cover the mountain. You very know, it's, it's, it's very expensive, millions of dollars of investment. And, you know, not everybody has the, the means to do that. So, you know, there's a lot of factors, but... Uh, you know the other the other factor is that the 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 sport is not growing. You know the 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 number of skiers in the U.S. has been relatively flat for the last two decades, despite well, the, the population you know, going way up. Right? Yeah, the the population continues to grow. So you know you could make an argument that skiing is shrinking relative to the rest of the the you know the rest of the world, and so when you have a shrinking customer base. And uh, you need to in, invest millions of dollars just to, you know, to stay even with everybody else. I mean, you're bound to get some shakeout, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, it's brutal. So, you know, just a quick profile. We sort of talked about this, but who is the target IndyPass customer? 
We have two. It started out as the casual three to five days a year person. You know, our, our pitch was, hey, you skied two days a year last year, buy an Indy Pass and ski four. You know, explore the world. <laughs> but what has turned out is that uh, about 25% of our pass holders are season pass holders or are epic or icon pass holders. And uh-huh. they buy the Indy Pass as a supplement uh-huh. uh, for their travel and exploration. Wow, that's fantastic. But, but, but 75% of our pass holders do not have a season pass, just like the general skiing population. And that will always be our primary target audience. You know, we 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 want to get the young family and the, the, the lapsed skier, the mom and dad who skied in college, and then they got jobs and started to raise a family. And 10 years later, they think, wow, maybe we can get our kids into skiing. That's perfect. That's our customer, you know, or, you know, just someone who only wants to go a few days a year and they, they can't justify a season pass and they, they don't want to just be tied to one resort, you know, and a, a three pack or, a, you know, a four pack or something like that. They want to explore a little bit. And uh, that's that's our, our customer. I love that. And and you know, you mentioned that New York Times article earlier, and I read that. And I love this quote from the New York Times from IndyPass customer, Mary Nitsky from Massachusetts. She says, my husband and I love the IndyPass because we just want to ski. We don't care about the fancy lodges and perfect grooming. And we really dislike long lift lines and crowded trails. It feels great to support smaller mountains where a lot of people are able to start skiing for a more affordable cost. And I thought that kind of wrapped up, you know, some of that Target Indy Pass customer as well, no um, question. Yeah. yeah, which which also makes me want to jump into uh, you know what also really kind of captured the the vibe and the soul and the customers and the Indy Pass itself is that Teach on Gravity Research made a film about you guys, which kind of blows my mind. It's called In Pursuit of Soul. I just watched it last night, and it's it's damn good. It's it's got a lot mm-hmm. of feeling, a lot of information. I learned a ton, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I just got to ask, how the hell? Doug, did you get TGR to make a ski movie about the Indy Pass? Well, it's not about the Indy Pass. It's about the resorts. Yeah. They agreed to do the film because they believe in what we're doing. And they want to support small to mid-sized independent resorts, bottom line. You know, the, the, the founders of Teton Gravity and the people who work there believe in what we're doing. They 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 want to support the resorts that um, that we represent. and and the resorts that we don't represent. And they felt that that was the best way they could do it. Smart, man. And, and tell us, what's the movie all about? What is it trying to convey? Well, you know, it 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 started out as, a, um, you know, a story about independent resorts. And, uh, you know, they, the TGR um, evolved the story um, to become a, a bit of a, story about the difficulties, the trials and tribulations of owning and running a small ski resort. There's that. Yeah, it's tough. You got to get up every morning, you know, before the sun comes up and, you know, do this and that. But really, I think what it conveys is the authenticity and the culture of people who, who are so passionate about the sport of skiing that they just want to be in the mountains. They want to be a part of it. And, you know, they're not doing it for the money. They're doing it for the love, for the love of snow. And And that's what really comes across in that film. I mean, when I saw the rough cut, it brought a tear to my eye. I'm not kidding you. And, and, uh, (laughs) I, I just think they captured the essence of what these these resorts do every day to put on, a, you know, to to give people uh, a great experience. TGR did a wonderful job of of uh, shining a light on on um, what goes on behind the scenes at uh, at resorts like I, this. I agree. They really pulled back the curtain on what. 
how these little resorts work and the blood, sweat and tears that goes into it. And again, you know, for the love that these people have, that they're so passionate about this. And you, yeah. you just, you see that across the whole ski industry, people are so into it. It means so much to them. And I don't yeah. think it can mean more to anybody than these small resorts. So it's, it's really cool. If you haven't seen it yet, it's called in pursuit of soul by TGR. You can watch it online for free. Just look it up. The one interesting question that people have been asking me, and I'd like to hear your opinion on, is the Indy Pass making these small ski areas busy, busier maybe? Uh, you know, there's no secret that big resorts like Squaw, Palisades Tahoe, Jackson Hole, Snowbird have been quite busy, incredibly busy mm -hmm. the last few mm -hmm. years. Are mm -hmm. Indy resort passes or Indy Pass resorts now seeing bigger crowds, or is it staying mellow? Well, they are seeing uh, more crowds because there are more people skiing. But, you know, it's kind of a, a misconception about the Indy Pass that a lot of resorts have that we talk to who are not on the pass. They're worried that our pass holders are going to overrun the resort because they've heard stories about, you know, Epic and Icon. They both had growing pains, you know, stories about a mountain joining the one of those passes and, you know, all of a sudden the lift lines double from what they were. Right. And that happens because those are unlimited passes. Yep. You know, and, and they're, they're starting to ratchet back on some of the access and they've got the local pass and the, you know, the premium pass and all that. But, you know, for the most part, that's like a season pass at, at 25 or 30 or 40 resorts. The Indy Pass, you only get two days. Yeah. And, um, you know, if it was an unlimited pass, you could easily ski 50, 60, 70 days a season, right? You just, you know, park at your resort. You go up every day and you ski. But in order to get 50 days on the Indy Pass, you got you better be prepared to travel, you know, 10 <laughs> or 15,000 miles, okay, and spend it. <laughs> a lot of time and a lot of money to get your days in. Yeah. It's just not possible. I mean, the 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 number the the most days uh, on the Indy Pass last year was 31 days. Really? And, and you know, that person had to had to do it in both the Midwest and the East, I believe. Or I mean, they had to cross over into two regions to do that. Yeah. Geez. And so you know, I, I heard uh, a couple of reports last year that Indy Pass visits approached 10% of a, of a resort's daily volume of day tickets, okay? okay. And, and day tickets usually account for about 50% of any given resort's volume. Well, if we're 10% of the day ticket volume, that means we're 5% of the total volume, and, and nobody's going to get overwhelmed by five or 10, even 10% increase. Well, and you can um, argue these small resorts probably need that 5%. Yeah. They've got the capacity. They're, they're more than happy to, you know, uh, welcome those extra people. I mean, obviously everybody's maxed out on president's weekend and, you know, the week after Christmas, but you know, the rest of the season, everybody's got, you know, most of the resorts on our past have capacity. I won't say all because there are some pinch points, but you know they they welcome that extra two percent or one percent or whatever the, the the number is. And do you think are there some Indy Pass uh, resorts that have been struggling, and maybe the Indy Pass is a bit of a lifeline for them? I don't think we can make that much of an impact, but it, it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt, you know. If they get <laughs> yeah. a check for thirty or forty or fifty k, you know, in the springtime, it it definitely goes to some good use. That's and, for sure. And, and, and the, you know, the people that show up, they're a lot of them are on vacation or they're traveling and they, you know, they'll buy some buy a souvenir, they'll spend a night in a hotel in town or at the at the resort, or you know, they'll spend some money in the bar. It, it all adds up. You know, those those are that's all revenue and and uh those are skier visits that they probably would never have seen. That's great. Well, I'm so glad that it's helping those resorts. And again, yeah, yeah it sounds like it's it's not going to overwhelm anybody. No, I, it's free, it's free money. It, yeah. it, it really is. It's free money. And uh, the marketing is a bonus. And you don't have to market it. Yeah, that's huge. That is absolutely huge. But I'd love to jump into some statistics that you may or may not know, because these might be a little bit uh, obscure. 
Yeah. So what would be the, what's the biggest resort in the past uh, as far as acres go? Oh, like, you know, without question, it's Powder Mountain in Utah. They're the largest uh, resort by acreage in North America. That's right. I think they're 8,000 plus acres, right? 8,400 and change. Unbelievable. And and what's the smallest resort on the pass? Probably uh, one of our resorts in Wisconsin. I'm going to say maybe the Rock Snow Park in Wisconsin, or maybe one of our, our partners in Iowa. I mean... Those guys are fairly small, you know, physically. Right. Uh, but they're big for their communities. Which regions have the most ski areas on the Indy Pass? We have our regions broken down. in. We have five regions now, you know, the West, the Rockies, the Midwest, Northeast, and Mid-Atlantic. I think that the Midwest and the Northeast are about equal at, at around 20. Okay. And then... Uh, you know, the Rockies, uh, probably, I, I, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head. I have another odd question. I just, I read something random. It didn't make a lot of sense about how you can get an indie pass for life. Is that a thing? Oh, uh, <laughs> I think I mentioned it on another podcast once that if anyone could ever ski all 80 resorts in one year, I'd give them an indie pass for life. <laughs> I love that. I think that's a yeah. good challenge for our listeners. Yeah, well, good luck. Yeah, I mean, because what would that be? About 100,000 miles on your car. Well, now that we're in Japan, you'd have to you'd have to do some serious driving. Well, yeah, because Japan might make it a no-go, but maybe if the offer still stands next year, although next year you guys might have even more resorts. But uh, the, that, the, the, the most number of resorts visited last year was 17. It's grueling. and I've done it. I've, I've, <laughs> I've gone out on the road for a month, and it's um, you have to be... You, you know, you've got to be dedicated to. You got to be focused. That work, yeah. Yeah, well, I like yeah. it. You're you're the original indie pass road warrior. I love it. Yeah. Uh, well, there's people that get more, you know, more days and more road trips than I do, but you know, I get to write mine off. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so do I. I love that. That's <laughs> our big secret. That mm-hmm. is uh, very very mm-hmm. helpful. Uh, all the mm-hmm. the gas money too. Oh my gosh. Well, I have, a, I have an interesting question here. Um, I'm just curious to hear your response. Uh, and I'm going to ramble here for a minute. So I have a question about Crystal Mountain, Washington. You might be familiar with this situation, but I'm going to kind of fill our, our, our listeners in. So I'd love to hear your opinion on, on what happened at Crystal in 2018. So Crystal mm-hmm. Mountain is owned by Boyne Resorts, uh, and it was run by John Kirscher. And whose who's family owns Boyne. So he's part of that family. And Boyne owns nine major ski resorts, including Big Sky, Sunday River, Brighton Moor. And uh, so John bought Crystal Mountain from his family in 2017, making it an independent ski area, uh, which I think was really exciting for that area. And the goal was to keep it forever and mold it into a family business. And only one year later, John sold to Crystal Mountain or he sold Crystal Mountain to Altera, uh, the company that owns and creates, created the Icon Pass. And mm-hmm. he basically, John said he got freaked out uh, when Vail bought Stevens Pass nearby and put it on the Epic Pass. You know, well, mm-hmm. everything's on the mm-hmm. Epic Pass. And here's a quote from John that I thought was really interesting. So John said this, my plan was to own this mountain long-term to the end of my career and keep it as a family business. But that changed with Vail getting involved in, with Stevens Pass. The Epic and Icon Passes have become much more of a factor in the business than I ever imagined. The companies mm-hmm. that offer these multi-resort offerings are at a major advantage. So John Kirscher said that. So. He And he basically was referring also to, he thinks that the Seattle area locals and destination travelers were going to pick Stevens over Crystal because Steven was on a collective pass. And he says again, another quote, if you own a large to mid-side ski area that's not on a collective pass, that's a problem. And Indy Pass might have solved that problem a bit. So I'm curious to hear, what do you think about that whole situation? You know, in, in hindsight, you know, maybe he could have done just fine without being on the icon pass. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to know without understanding how many visits they account for. I I, I know from uh, I remember an interview I heard a podcast interview with the general manager at Taos in New Mexico, and I think he referenced that they accounted for about ten percent of their visits. So interesting, you know, that's, that's not huge and it's not an, enough to make or break you. And two, those aren't, there's not going to be full price visits. You know, they're not going to, you're not going to get reimbursed at, at your full rack rate for those visits. 
but I think that, you know, Seattle is, um, that it is a very competitive market for sure. And, you know, when Epic locked up Stevens Pass and Snoqualmie, that gave them, you know, two thirds of the Seattle market. So you could buy one pass and visit two mountains, or you could buy one pass and visit one mountain. And, you know, uh, John probably figured, wow, I'm going to, how am I going to win this battle? My, my response would be, well, you have the best mountain. Yeah. <laughs> you've I mean, got, you've clearly got the best of the three mountains and you're the southernmost of, of the three. So you're going to get the whole South Puget Sound region because it's, it's a shorter drive, but you know, he's a good businessman and he, he that's the deal he made. And, and, um, you can't argue with the success that, that, uh, the Kirshners have had in the ski business. Oh, it's a very impressive family. Yeah. And I, I, I appreciate you saying that. Cause yeah, I'm so curious if that's a symptom of what's happening right now, especially as it relates to the conglomeration of the ski resort industry. And I think it must be, I mean, I think John and he admitted he, he got freaked out. Um, yeah. and, and for those reasons that you stated that, yeah, Epic had two resorts, he had one and you got to get that Seattle market as the biggest chunk you possibly can. And, you know, Crystal's tough because you can't stay there, right? It's uh, there's not really any lodging nearby. That's that's very right. very close. So yeah, tricky yes. tricky situation. So thank you for your insight on that. One of the last things I wanted to talk about was just how you pulled off the Japanese ski areas. You got four Japanese ski areas into the Indy Pass this season. Can you tell us a little bit about those resorts and what it was like getting them on board? I, I spent four seasons in Japan, and I know how challenging uh. it can be to do business over there due to cultural differences and yeah. things just move slow out there business-wise. <laughs> well, I'd like to say I was just a, you know, brilliant international you know business mind, but I'm not. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, we, we were approached about a year ago by a couple of guys who have a, a guide service over there called, ah. um, uh, ski Japan tours. Okay. And they are a couple of Americans who have lived there most of their lives. So they know the culture. They know that they speak the language fluently. They know all the ski resorts and they take American skiing in Northern Japan. So they really knew the, the territory and all the secret handshakes and everything. <laughs> they contacted us and said, Hey, we want to, you know, we think any pass could, could uh, expand over here and we'd like to, work with you to develop the market and and so we allowed them to to be our representatives in japan and go out and and pitch the indie pass concept to some resorts and they were able to get four resorts to give it a try wow well that that and, could not have gone any better and i'm looking at the the website now it's luke cummings and brent potter uh, and yes. then you guys, you guys even have packages. So if people might be intimidated by traveling to Japan, uh, which which can very much be the case, it's an awfully different place. Only two percent of the people there speak and understand English, and so uh, right. these guys basically will will take you in and, and give you a catered trip. So that's great as well. Yes. They'll show you all the best sushi bars and and <laughs> uh, you know put you up in all the best uh you know lodging facilities and then take you on all the best powder runs it's a pretty good deal and can't beat that they, you know their their uh their fees are very reasonable and i think worth every penny i i was looking forward to doing it myself i've got a trip planned there in february i'm just crossing my fingers that we're going to be able to get into the country well, I hope it works out because uh, it's like I said, I spent a lot of time out there and it is just absolutely fantastic. Every little piece of it. I love so much. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm as excited about the skiing as I am about the culture and, and uh, the food, to be honest with you. Yeah. Well, and that might fit into my next question. So what's next? What's next for you and your life's journey, Doug? Oh, well, um, you know, if my life ended today, I, I you know, I think I'd, I'd die happy man I, uh, i've <laughs> gotten to ski hear. all over the country and and uh right now i'm skiing for a living and i can't think of a better a better thing to do i'm having the time of my life i'm having the best uh the best time of my career and um you know i want to i want to get the indie pass built up a little bit more and 
achieve some goals that, that we've set for you know for past sales and and for resorts and then i'm gonna go skiing i love that <laughs> that's that's what and i wanted I'm to hear gonna, yeah i mean you know <laughs> the number one reason to get in the ski business is so you can ski right <laughs> absolutely because sometimes there's not a whole lot else to it uh that's for sure <laughs> Uh, you yeah. might be, you might be just getting by and, uh, you know, I just, I just thought of a last question. Do you think, is the Indie Pass, uh, one of the more successful ventures that you've had in your lifetime? Well, uh, you know, so far so good. I, you know, I, I think, uh, <laughs> I, I've, you know, I've, I've had, uh, a, f- a few businesses and, uh, the Indie Pass, uh, you know, up to this point, um, we haven't taken any money out of it. We, um, uh, reinvest it. Yeah. I think we're going to make a little money this year. Good. And if it continues to grow, I think it will be a, you know, a profitable business, but you know, we're, we're just excited that we're making a difference and, and, uh, we are satisfying a, a niche in the market that, that wasn't being addressed. And, you know, the money will come, the the profit will, will come if, if people continue to buy the pass. And, and I think they will. Fantastic. Doug, I appreciate what you're doing out there. I think a lot of other people do. I know the small ski resorts do. So thank you very much, Doug. That's, that's all I've got for you. Do you have anything else you'd like to share here at the end of the show? No, uh, Miles, I'll just say that you, you asked very good questions and you're very, uh, you're very astute. You, you, I, you know, I know that uh, Snow Brands is one of my favorite uh, websites and you guys do a great job with it. Uh, and <laughs> uh, I love reading the stories and, and uh, you, you tend, you seem to cover some of the things that nobody else covers. Uh, so I would just say, keep, keep doing the great job that you're doing and, and the great work and, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to come together and collaborate a little bit here. Well, I will hold those words close to my heart, Doug, because you are been so successful in this industry. And I, I hope to be like you one day. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. Uh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, the end result hopefully is the same. We both get to ski a lot. Doug, it was really great talking to you. Thank you so much for being here. Have a great rest of your day. And I hope we run into each other and ski somewhere soon. I hope so, too. Thanks, Miles. Thank you so much for listening to the Snowbrains podcast. If you liked this podcast, please share with your friends and family and please subscribe. To find out more about Snowbrains, please visit us at snowbrains.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Snowbrains. Today's episode of the Snowbrains podcast is brought to you by Hakuba Valley, Japan. With nine ski resorts and 131 trails, Hakuba Valley has something for everyone. Discover deep powder, big mountain terrain, and snow activities for the whole family at Japan's largest snow resort. Visit hakabavalley.com to learn more. Today's Snow Brains podcast is brought to you by Scott Sports. Looking to test the boundaries but fearful of high-risk situations? Scott Sports knows the danger. That's why they've developed the Patrol E1 Avalanche Backpack, which is what I personally use in the backcountry. It's the ultimate free skiing avalanche backpack, pushing the boundaries of innovation. The supercapacitor technology, along with exceptional design, results in one of the lightest electric airbag backpacks on the market to date. To learn more, go to scottsports.com. This episode of the Snowbrains podcast was edited by Jared White. Music by Chad Crouch. And I'm your host, producer, and creator, Miles Clark.